Well, good evening. My name is Brian Parks. I serve as the senior pastor here at Covenant Hope Church. Steve Warner was a guy in my Boy Scout troop who introduced us younger kids to smoking and drinking and bad language. He was older. He seemed so much cooler. He was the guy whose rebelliousness seemed attractive, and I was drawn to him, as were many of the younger Boy Scouts in our troop. Eventually, I stepped out of Boy Scouts, and I lost track of Steve Warner. Later in high school, I gave my life to Christ, and then I went off to university, and I began to grow in my faith. The Lord was changing me. And then one day, as I was walking on campus, I looked up, and there on the sidewalk in front of me was Steve Warner. And I wondered, what is Steve Warner, wild man Steve Warner, going to think of me now that I've become a Christian? Well, as I began to talk to Steve, I realized that Steve was different too. You see, as I spoke to him, it became quickly clear that the same thing that had happened to me had happened to Steve. Somehow, he had heard the gospel of Jesus. He had become a Christian, and he wasn't rebellious. He wasn't that rebellious and irreligious bad boy that I had once looked up to. He was active in a Christian group on campus, and in fact, that day, he was out sharing the gospel on campus. People don't need the gospel to change. Does that surprise you to hear that? People don't need the gospel to change. They can stop their bad habits. They can get fit. They can lose weight. They can learn new skills. But those changes are external changes. No one is transformed from the inside out without the Lord Jesus chasing them down, giving them a new heart capable of faith, and sending someone to them with the good news, which they respond to then with repentance and faith. Our passage this evening is perhaps the most dramatic and consequential conversion in the Bible. The main point that Luke wants to point us to here in Acts chapter 9 is that we are God's enemies graciously commissioned to preach Christ. We are God's enemies graciously commissioned to preach Christ. There's just two points in the sermon this evening. An enemy is commissioned and an instrument for preaching. An enemy is commissioned and an instrument for preaching. Now, if you're not already there and you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 9 so that you can follow along. Since the chapter 2 of Acts, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, has been transforming thousands of people into born-again Christians in Jerusalem. But Jesus had promised that it would not be limited to Jerusalem. His gospel would be proclaimed to the whole world, in fact. And in chapter 8, last week we read about the gospel making its way into the Judean countryside, up to Samaria, where Jewish heretics of all people 
repented and trusted in Christ through Philip the Evangelist's preaching. And then south of Jerusalem, an Ethiopian eunuch repented and believed, and he was even baptized and sent on his way back to his home country. Philip's evangelistic journeys had begun because of intense persecution that had broken out in Jerusalem and forced many Christians there to flee. And one man in particular was responsible for the persecution of Christ's church, Saul. Saul was being used by Satan to persecute Christ and his church, but the Lord was about to change his main persecutor into his greatest preacher. First, he commissioned Saul in a dramatic turn of events. And so, the first point this evening is, an enemy is commissioned. And we see that in verses 1 through 19a, the first part of 19, verse 1 through 19, an enemy is commissioned. Here in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, remind us what a dangerous enemy Saul was. Luke uses vivid language when he says that Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Saul's attack on Christians is so much a part of who he was and what motivated him that his threats and his murderless plans were just like breathing for him. It's coming so naturally to Saul. He hates Christians. He hates the church. And Saul's not satisfied to chase down Christians in Jerusalem. He's willing to track and hunt them all the way to places like Damascus up in the north, almost 200 kilometers away. His intention is to go to Damascus to find and bind Christians there and to drag them back to Jerusalem where they might face prison or maybe even martyrdom like Stephen. But as Saul drew near to Damascus, the Lord Jesus drew near to him. Look with me at verses 3 through 9 a little more closely. It's worth reading again. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Did you notice that Jesus asks Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus answers his question, who are you, with, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul was persecuting the church, but Jesus so identifies himself with the church and his disciples that to persecute the church is to persecute Jesus himself. This is much like what a parent might feel if their child is being bullied 
at school. You push my child around and I, as a parent, am going to feel it intensely. It's like you're pushing me around. Or if a loving husband sees his wife being attacked or mistreated, he's going to defend her because it's like he's being attacked and mistreated. And it's like this between Christ and His church because, you see, we are His children and we are His bride. We are even considered to be His own body, Jesus' body. Ephesians chapter 4, 15 and 16 says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Christ intimately associates Himself with Covenant Hope Church even. We are His body. If people attack us, they're attacking Christ. And the warning in this association isn't just for those outside of us. We, too, need to be careful about how we speak about the church and how we treat the church, how we treat fellow Christians, even as we're a part of it. Jesus' instruction to Saul is noteworthy, too. It's not a request. He's not asking Saul, would you consider getting up and going on into the city, Saul? No, no, it's, it's a command. Rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. Now, later, as Saul wrote letters to pastors and the churches that he cared for, he never forgot that he did not choose Christ, but Christ chose and commanded him. He refers to himself in his greeting in his first letter to Timothy like this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Jesus sovereignly chose Saul. Saul didn't apply for the job. He didn't seek it in any way, shape, or form but God chose him. Once again, we see that God is the initiator when we become Christians. You and I become Christians because God sought us and commanded us. Brothers and sisters, that should humble us and cause us to praise Him and to thank Him all the more, to give Him all the credit for our salvation. We deserve none of the credit. A drowning man can cry out for help, but we were worse off than drowning. We were dead. We were face down in the water. We were not breathing. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. When was the last time that you thanked God for saving you? When was the last time that you thanked Him for choosing you, for saving you? Thanking Him for His work in your life, applying His work on the cross to forgive your sins should be a regular part of your prayer life. 
It should be a regular topic of conversation between us and our Lord. Now, if you're not a Christian, what do you think of this true story that we're reading? What do you think of it? Do you see that even though you may say that you're seeking God, but that the most important thing is whether or not God is seeking you? If you're here and you're truly looking for answers about Christ, about what it means to enter into a personal relationship with Him, if you feel drawn to Him, in all likelihood, that's His work in you, drawing you. Now, now run to Him. Don't wait to be knocked off your horse by a blinding light. Turn to Christ. He's seeking you, and you'll know it when you become aware of your need to have your sins forgiven so that you can live for the God who made you. Sometimes Christ's choice of us shows up in a gentle tug, and other times it is almost a violent knockdown, just like Saul experienced. Either way, Christ is the one who's doing the choosing. He's the one who's coming to us and commanding us. The physical blindness that Christ caused in Saul was an indicator of Saul's spiritual blindness, of course. He claimed to be doing God's work in persecuting the church, but in his blindness, he was actually persecuting God. In verses 10 through 16, the Lord drafts a simple, obedient Christian named Ananias to go to Saul and to heal him. And just like he told Philip to go to a specific road to meet the Ethiopian, he tells Ananias to go find Saul on a specific street into Damascus. I've even had the privilege of standing on Straight Street in Damascus. It's amazing to be in those kinds of places which are actually not too far from us here in this part of the world. Ananias resists, of course. He was fearing Saul, but again, the Lord commands, and He tells him how important this man named Saul will become and what it's going to cost him. Look at verse 15 with me. But the Lord said to him, that is Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Saul would go on to lead many to Christ and bear witness to Christ in all sorts of strange and amazing situations throughout the world. He was a unique chosen instrument. Those are his words. But you and I are chosen instruments of Christ as well. Everyone who is called by Christ into the faith is commissioned for service for Christ and His kingdom. Do you think of yourself as God's instrument in the world? Do you think of yourself as His chosen tool, or maybe even we could use the word weapon, for His kingdom purposes? As much as you regularly thank Him for saving you, do you present yourself to Him as a servant each day willing to do His bidding? Oh, Lord, send me into the world today. I want to be your man. I want to be your woman. Would it help to make it a regular way to begin your day by saying, Lord, what do you want me to do today? 
how can I serve your purposes and, and not my own? And of course, from verse 16, we're reminded that following a suffering Savior will involve suffering ourselves. Are you ready for what suffering Christ might bring your way? If He does, you can be sure He has a purpose in it, just like He did in Saul's life. Ananias greeted Saul in Damascus by calling him Brother Saul. What a kind word of welcome and love to a man who had been a dangerous enemy. And so Ananias laid his hands on Saul. Saul received the Holy Spirit and his sight was restored and he rose to be baptized. And then he stayed with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Those very people that he was heading to Damascus to bind and drag back to Jerusalem. They hosted him. It's amazing. This wild beast of a man had now been calmed and commissioned by Christ. And again we ask the question, who is beyond the reach of our Savior Jesus? No one. Jesus can save anyone. There's no one too far gone, no one too sinful, no one too arrogant, no one too rebellious. There's no reason not to pray for the conversion of the people in our lives that we least think likely to follow Christ. Whatever was the actual length of time that Saul spent with the disciples in Damascus, Luke wants us to know that it was relatively short because verse 20 says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. Saul's dramatic commissioning was sealed, and now he stepped into his new role as an instrument for preaching. That's the second point this evening, an instrument for preaching. And we see that from the end of verse 19 all the way to the end of our passage in verse 31. Verses 19 through 30 then outline two primary places that Saul preached Christ. First, Damascus, and then back in Jerusalem. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul explains his story of coming to faith, and he includes more details about how long he spent in different places in the first 10 years or so after coming to faith. And I don't have time to explain how those two accounts from Galatians chapter 1 and this account here in Acts chapter 9 fit together, but they do. And we can say that these verses here in Acts chapter 9 describe what happened over the course of really what was about four years. And you might have already noticed that when I refer to something that Saul has said later in his life, I'm referring to him as Paul. Those are the same man, Saul and Paul, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Bible. At least part of what Christ told Ananias about Saul's commission begins to happen in these verses. In both Damascus and Jerusalem, Saul carried the name of Christ, that's the terminology, before the children of Israel. That's what Jesus had told Ananias he was going to do, at least one of the things he was going to do. Those are the Jews. And one thing that's evident is that Saul was welcomed into the church, even if it took having Barnabas introduce him to the apostles in Jerusalem, because they were initially afraid of him. 
As soon as they heard, though, firsthand how he had met Christ on the road and then began preaching in the synagogues, they welcomed him. The place for new Christians is in the church, no matter what their background. And their place is in the church, not just as attenders, but as full members. Church membership is the best position for a new Christian to grow and to learn to serve others in the church and to serve alongside the church as they make Christ known to the outside world. If someone comes to Christ, we want to encourage them to join the church, to make the covenant commitments of membership, and to let us as a church body pledge ourselves to them as well. If you're a Christian and you've been putting off membership in the church, I encourage you to press forward. Come through the membership class to to learn exactly what we believe. It's important that you know that before you join us as a member. And, And let us meet with you and ask you more about your understanding of the gospel so that we agree on what the gospel is and that we get to hear about how you came to put your faith and trust in Christ. It's important that we know those things. It's important that you testify and witness to Christ to us. And if you need to be baptized in obedience to Christ's command, we want to do that for you as well. Membership in the local church is God's design for all true Christians. But what stands out most about Saul in these verses is his preaching. Let me point out three characteristics of his preaching that we see in verses 19 through 30. First of all, his preaching focused on Christ. In verse 20, Saul was preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. In verse 22, he was proving that Jesus was the Christ. And then in verses 27 and 28, he preached in the name of Jesus and in the name of the Lord. Think for a minute about Saul's dramatic conversion story that he had to tell about himself. Think about what a crowd that would have gathered for him if he just went around telling that story. And yet, Saul's message focused on Christ, not himself. And the same should be true of us. Our message is Christ, not us. To evangelize is to share with others about Jesus, who He is. He's the Son of the Father sent into the world. He's fully God and fully man. It's to testify about what He did, that He lived a sinless life and yet went to the cross, was crucified as a substitute in our place, and still yet He rose again to new life. It's to tell people where He is now. He's reigning in power at the right hand of God the Father. It's to explain to them why He came, that He came to reconcile man to God. He came to forgive sins. He came to begin making all things new by causing men and women to be born again. And it's to witness to what He commands and offers to everyone. He commands us to repent and believe in Himself. He offers everlasting life. This is the good news. This is the essential news about Christ that we testify to. 
it can be useful to tell your story of coming to faith in Christ. Paul does many times as well, and yet when he does, the punchline to the story is about Jesus. Saul's gospel and our gospel is about Christ. I think one of the reasons that we don't talk about Christ when we think we're evangelizing is that we intuitively know that people don't mind hearing about us. I think we know that it won't be too offensive just to tell a story about our own experiences. But the real offense we know deep down is when we begin to talk about Jesus. That's when people are going to be put off. And so we don't. We shy away from it sometimes. We're tempted to leave Him out, to talk about church, to talk about change, and not to talk about Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, let's talk about Jesus more and ourselves less. Let's preach Christ first and foremost. A second characteristic of Saul's ministry is that he's bold. He's bold. Twice it says in these verses that he preached boldly in Jerusalem. What keeps us from being bold? I think it's that we're scared of what others are going to think about us. I think we think they might shun us or set us aside, not be our friend anymore. Maybe begin persecuting us. You know, our fears are in the wrong place when we feel that. It's only when in the power of the Holy Spirit that we grow in the fear of the Lord that we can learn not to fear others. Pray for that. Ask for greater boldness and more fear of God and watch your fear of other people melt away. Pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit as you meditate on God's Word and you pray. Thirdly, we see about Saul's witness that it was costly. It was costly. Bearing witness to Jesus meant that Saul became a target of persecution himself. In both Damascus and in Jerusalem, the Jews set out to kill him. And in both cases, he had to flee in the end. From Damascus, he fled most likely into the Arabian desert as described in Galatians chapter 1. And then later after he left the Arabian desert, he went to Jerusalem. And the Christians there, the apostles, welcomed him in eventually, gave him the right hand of fellowship, and he began preaching boldly. And then they recognized the plot to kill him there in Jerusalem. And they sent him back up north to Cilicia, to Tarsus, his hometown. And as we know, that wouldn't be the last of Saul's suffering. His life was filled with suffering for Christ. We too may suffer for claiming and proclaiming Christ. We shouldn't be surprised. The noted German Christian theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, suffering is the badge of true discipleship. The Saul who chased Christians out of Jerusalem back in chapter 8 has now become a Christian himself who is chased out of Jerusalem for the very same faith that Stephen had. Oh, what a turnaround. What a, 
What a change. What a transformation. In one dramatic work, in one pivotal man's life, the Lord calmed the storm of persecution against the church and brought about growth and comfort. And so, verse 31 describes the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria as finally having peace. Luke tells us that they were built up. They walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And all of that resulted in growth. It says there in verse 31, the church multiplied. The Lord Jesus was working for the good of His bride, the church, through the persecutions and now through a time of peace. The Lord works in His church in both kinds of seasons, persecution and comfort. And Saul's conversion in this passage was a key part of that. In many ways, his conversion is unique, of course. (laughs) Not many will have so cruelly persecuted Christians, putting them to death and chasing them down to throw them into prison. Not many will encounter Christ for the first time in a bright light with an audible voice and eyes that end up being blinded. But our story is like Saul's too. We once were enemies of Christ. We were sinners rebelling against God in any number of ways, and He sought us. He changed our hearts, and He commissioned us to be ambassadors for His kingdom in spite of our enemy status. We, like Saul, are all enemies of God commissioned to preach Christ. Just like I once was and have been changed, and just like Steve Warner once was and has been changed, so too the Lord has done it in many of you. May God enable us to be faithful ambassadors for His. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You that You didn't wait for us. We were dead in our sins, and You came and found us, and because of Your lavish, faithful love, You made us alive with Christ. You have placed us in Christ. Our hope is in Him. Lord, we thank You that You've changed us. We pray, Father, that You would continue that good work in us, both individually and as a church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.